Emily Reese, practicing sommelier today. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, Jill Mott, who is the actual sommelier, but will be doing the music today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for asking. I'm a little intimidated to be the, uh, definitely not the authority figure, but to talk about jazz with you today, to tell you about jazz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I will. Uh, actually, no, because this show isn't for us. I mean, it is for us, but it's for our guests because yeah. people say they love it. Yeah. I did have a friend say, oh my gosh, what's, a couple of them actually, what's going to, what's going to happen to scores and pores when you're in Greece? Like, what are we going to do? And I was like, don't worry. Yeah. We have episodes in the hopper. We do. We've been uh, recording many just to kind of prepare for that impending departure. Which is the inspiration for my topic yeah. on Switching Roles, Volume 3. I'm going to talk about not jazz, but tzaz. The <laughs> Greeks don't have a J in their <laughs> alphabet, so they use T-Z-A-Z, and they pronounce it tzaz. Cute. I'm going to talk about a few Greek jazz musicians that I've came upon. Those of you who know me and listeners who have, you know, heard quite a bit of this podcast know that if I do something, I read read about it. Yeah. Read read, got to learn all about it, do all of the things. And so with, you know, going, I'm departing, if you're listening to this, I'm already in Greece. And I wanted to learn more about what was going on in a lot of different musical realms, but especially jazz being one of my favorite forms of music. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know who is on the scene, who is on the scene, what are people doing? And I listened to a lot of weird jazz, <laughs> a lot of great jazz, a lot of kind of jazz that I don't want to say it's bad. It just wasn't to my taste. And mm-hmm. I settled on three that I thought were really doing cool stuff. Awesome. How did, how did you settle on whatever you settled on? I think somehow I stumbled upon Flemish Red Ale. Hmm. And so I thought, well, that sounds unique. And it turns out it is quite a unique type of beer from West Flanders in Belgium. And it was really cool to learn about it. So we're going to taste two different beers from Rodenbach, which is one of the, if not the premier brewer of Uh, Flemish red ale. So we'll try one of their fruit beers and then we'll try one of their Flemish red ales, the actual red ale. So that's, that's, it is. We'll try a Rodenbach Grand Cru first, and then we'll try a Rodenbach Alexander. And I'll teach you a little bit about the Rodenbach family and why Flemish red ale is, it's just own little world thing and what's cool about it. So I'm excited to taste it. And we're recording earlier today. You probably haven't noticed because Sam, our, the guy who produces this show, uh, does an amazing job, as does Emily, of making us sound better and trying to minimize the airplanes that fly overhead uh, <laughs> the studio when cars and construction drive by the studio, dogs barking, etc. So we decided let's try to you know, record a little earlier today. And when Emily told me, yeah, I'm going to do beer, I was like, well, I should run over here. Be, and, you know, we sit far enough away in the booth. I'm like, she can't smell me. And then I get to replace my chromium content in a way only beer can. Yeah. So and I'm excited. What you mean by that is when you expel a bunch of energy and calories, you need chromium. And chromium is in beer. So and having you, run how many miles? Three? Did you? It's four? Like, I think it's like, it's three and a half, I okay. think, over here. And yeah. I, and I, the thing too is like you can buy chromium, I think, tablets and stuff, and you can get things to put in water and boring. dissolve. Boring. Boring. A, yes. But Seaster, 
my sister, has has said, and I didn't believe, so I looked it up, beer is the only way to get chromium into your body as fast, no, faster than tablets and things like that. It's like the fastest way to replace your chromium. And, you know, the sites I saw that on, probably like beer running websites <laughs> for like beer races and shit. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. let's get to let's get to switching roles. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start off with some music. Well, bit. I didn't really know what order to put these in, right? Musically, I'd listen to them in a few different orders. And so I thought, well, why don't I just start with where I'm going to be, which is Spata, just east of Athens, making wine. And I thought, let's start in a village called Lamia, where it's just northwest of Athens. Um, There's a gentleman by the name of Antonis Andreu, and he plays trombone. Yes. (laughs) Otherwise known as the tromponi in Greek. He was born in 1981, and he was part of, he's been like all over the jazz world. I mean, those of you who listen to kind of modern jazz from the United States, you've probably heard, and I guess they're kind of a fusion band, I think, but like Pink Martini, he did a, a couple stages with them. He's played in a, in a lot of different bands and is on a lot of different albums. And so I settled on one that I thought was kind of the most intriguing, interesting, and just plain fun. The The jazz ensemble is called Baby Trio, and they are all Greek musicians that I know of. They're all Greek, and they have to be 25 years of age or younger. (laughs) And once they're 25, they have, you know, they... Yeah, Yeah. it's not like they're kicked out of the band, but the band is around to, like, showcase youth enthusiasm in jazz, you know, before you maybe get jaded from the scene and stuff (laughs) like that. Yeah. And so they have had six versions of baby trio, of which uh, Antonis Andreu was part of that. And around 2012, they came out with an album called Urban Jazz, and he's featured on a few tracks. And so I thought, why not listen to a few of them, just little snippets of each, because they are all they all have a similar sound, if anybody has seen yeah. John Travolta's Get Shorty. <laughs> and it's just kind of like... It's kind of tasty, it's kind of cheesy, but it's really just good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I figured we'd listen to a few tracks off of Urban Jazz. Let's do it. Uh, The first is the title track, and here we go. I like that little confusing rhythm at the beginning, you know, you can't really tell where the downbeat's going to be. So good. And for those of you who are big fans of Scores and Pours, you know we've done entire episodes uh, dedicated to the trombone a couple different times. Hell yeah. And so Emily and I are very much a fan of this amazingly, beautifully sounding and ridiculous yeah. instrument. And I just love how he plays it, you know? He's got a beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, nice and rich but indirect. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's kind of just round enough. the idea of a trombone with a Hammond B3 organ. Yeah, you right? Know? Yeah. And sometimes, I, you know, this, this kind of um, percussion, meaning that, you know, the drums can kind of bother me with jazz because they can either be too loud or the, it can be almost sounding like I don't want to say too modern because jazz should be living, right? But yeah. sometimes it gets to be too kind of rock sounding. Sure. And I think this is just flirting a really interesting, it's it's in a few different worlds and camps and I really like it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about jazz anyway, is that mm-hmm. it's always bringing in styles and yeah. stuff from every time and everywhere. Okay, you want to listen to another one? Yeah, I do. This is a track called Don't Be So Cool. And... <laughs> Here we go. one that really reminded me of the Get Shorty soundtrack. (laughs) I urge you all to give that a little listen. Sometimes he's playing on his own, but a lot of times he's kind of playing alongside someone, doing that, um, the parallel playing is cool. You ready for one more? Just a quickie? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this next track that I uncovered is called Undercover. And, you know, we we get started here at 22 seconds. It's just, it's perfect. Yes. instruments. I'm hearing guitar, organ, drums, and trombone. 
So maybe there's a guest guitarist perhaps, on this track? Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. yeah. Love it. Great, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just thought his playing was really fun. You know, the band in and of themselves, Baby Trio, seems like a really cool, just a cool idea. But yeah. um, his, yeah, his tone, I like his tone. I think he's obviously very talented. He's played all over the world. Why not listen to a little Greek tromponi in your day? Saz. Little Greek, little Greek Saz. Little Greek Saz. On the tromponi. Antonis Andreu. Love that guy. Yeah. beer my run my run took it out of me let's beer emily reese let's <laughs> beer rodenbach me ms emily reese we are going to start off with a beer called the grand crew from rodenbach which is as i mentioned a brewery in west flanders in belgium and a flemish red ale there are some very special there are very um, specific things that make it a special beer, one of which is it's aged in oak fooder, usually, which are giant, huge barrels. And I'll talk more about those in just a minute, in particular the ones that are at Rodenbach. But So that's a huge part of the Flemish red ale is that it needs to be, you know, it's often aged in oak and it also is usually blended with a combination of matured beer that's been aged for a couple of years and younger beer that's only been around for a few months. And so those blended together help prolong the life of the beer and help balance consistency and things along those lines. And also helps tamper down the acidity when you're blending the younger beer with the older beer that's been sitting in these oak casks and just getting all ragey acidic for a few years. That's one important thing is the oak process and the blending. And then also these beers are fermented with a lot of bacteria and yeasts that other brewers try, honestly, try to avoid, like acetobacter, which adds acetic acid, and lactic acid, and something called Britannomyces, which we've talked about. So there are all these extra microorganisms that help in the fermentation process with Flemish red ales that um, usually are absent or not enhanced, mm -hmm. <laughs> shall we say, yeah. in, in other beers. So this gives it a sour taste, generally speaking. It's, it's considered a sour beer. And the reason it's red is because the malts are prepared in a kiln ahead of time. And so that gives the beer a reddish color. Some some Flemish reds are redder than others, but in any event, that's uh, one of the things that gives it color. Also, the oak gives it color too. So should we try this? Yeah, for sure. Now, for those of you who say you like sour beers, there is, when you have a kettle sour, you have a little lactobacillus, a little lactic acid, right? But the, the, what makes this so different is a lot of kettle sours don't have Britannomyces. 
They aren't aged in oak. Right. They're four weeks old or four days old as Not opposed to being years. three years old. Yeah. 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 To scores and pours. To scores and pours. One of my favorite styles of beer people, let's be honest. So Emily Reese, nice work. <laughs> mm, it smells fruity. It smells like prunes and dates to me, like a lot of dried, dried fruits, dried cherries. Sometimes they put fruit in these beers, mm -hmm. as they do with the Alexander, which we'll try in a minute. When you pull these from the fridge, you know, they're delicious when they're cold. But normally when people used to drink beers of this style, they're drinking them in a, they're taking them out of a cellar, right? So they're usually cool, mm -hmm. very cool, but they're not cold. Yeah. So I would urge you if you decide to go out and experiment and have a day with Flemish red ales or a week, <laughs> let's just say a month because that'll be well worth your time. When you take them out and pour them, give them, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, go do some chores or go bet your cat or your dog and come back and it's going to be perfect. I believe the recommended temperature is four degrees Celsius. Mm. I love how tart it is. Mm -hmm. But it's such a mild... Mm. This Grand Cru does not hit you over the head with any of those characteristics. Not the acid. It's, you know, kind of, it's, you can taste that there's acid in it and mm -hmm. it's sour. It's definitely not bitter. And we'll talk about why in a minute. But yeah, it's a very round, mild, refreshing, fruity situation. And I think the Grand Cru, the reason that they call it Grand Cru is because it has a little bit more old beer. To young beer, I think it's got like a 70-30 or 60... Well, don't do my job for me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to talk about that we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about that a little later because okay. I wanted to mostly talk about the beer style itself and then we'll get into the details about the Grand Cru and the Alexander and mm. the brewery itself. Delicious. It's so good. It is. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. Well, it'll be even more delicious and uh, wine-like as it comes to temperature, which is what I love about this style of beer. Okay, so you want a manouche, jazz manouche with me? Yeah, which it, is French. Yes, but it, the, the Greeks were, this, these specific Greeks were inspired <laughs> by a Django festival. Neat. Um, in Django's hometown of Samois-sur-Seine, yes. southeast of Paris. They went to a, a Django manouche festival. Django Reinhardt, yeah. Yes, thank you, and fell in love with it and decided to start playing. And this, this band, they're called Manouche Drome. And they started playing in about 2011 or so, and then they founded Manouche Drome in 2014 and started playing publicly. They've played all over Greece. They've played a little bit, I think, in the UK, a little bit around Europe. I don't think they've been much outside of Europe. But the sound is really fun. You know, it's really a la Django Reinhardt, but with a little twist and turn. And I... You know, I love this kind of music. I do understand. Emily and I have talked about it uh, often. She loves jazz manouche too, right? Yeah, but I do. You're like, if if we're ever like cooking, because we, you know, we cook for our patron only content. Which, ooh, this is a good time. Yeah. Thank you, patrons. <laughs> we love you. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, you can support us financially, and we would adore that on Patreon.com/slash Scores and Pours. We make it real easy for you tiers so you can donate at the level that works for you you'll get patron only content recipes beer or wine pair their pairings mm -hmm. music pairings yeah uh, and then in some cases you get free merch which is dope yeah we have hoodies and teas and wine keys 
and stickers. And you can either buy those things individually if you visit our Patreon page. We have a link there for you to buy merch. Or you could become a patron and just get merch that way. And we would love your support. It would be very helpful. So thank you to those who already do contribute. And we'd love to welcome more of you into the Scores and Pores family (laughs) if we could. We absolutely would. And for those of you who can't afford it at this time, this is our gift for you. We love doing it. So thanks to those who support us and to those who will support us. <laughs> We're also on Instagram and Twitter at Scores and Pours. So you can find us there and direct message us and yeah, show ideas, comments, feedback, and the like, mm-hmm. as I was saying. Yeah, I think what you were going to say is that I can get, I can tire of the jazz manouche uh, style rather quickly, even though I love it mm-hmm. and I love listening to it. I can't listen to it for an hour. Let me let me guess. I'm just going to take a guess. I take about an hour and a half, maybe two hours to tire. Can I take a stab that on a regular day mm-hmm. you tire of jazz minouche after like an hour, like 45 minutes, hour? I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And again, that I don't mean to disparage Jazz Manouche or you know, the all. other names for it, by the way. It's also called Gypsy Jazz. It's also called Hot Club Jazz because Django Reinhardt's Ooh, I didn't quintet was called the Hot Club Quintet. So, uh, so yeah, it has a, a few different terms, but it's all amazing, wonderful music that you should definitely listen to. So yeah, I don't I don't mean to. Oh, that's that's quite yeah. okay. The specific musician I want to talk about because there have been I think a few musicians who have come and gone out of uh, Manustrum is Dimitrio Psalidas. I'm looking at my Greek spelling here because I'm trying to learn the Greek alphabet, and they have the psi letter uh-huh. and. I just, that's new to me. And why well, it's not because I know of the flipping Greek god Poseidon and yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. his name is spelt. But anyway, Dimitrio Psalidas plays the guitar and he's sort of the, the, the ringleader of the band. Okay. And they put out, they put out a few different albums and I like some of them more than others. The one I really like is called Eres un Angel, which is funny. Because that's in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> it means you are an angel. Uh, but they came out with it in 2015, and I figured we would listen to a couple of those to familiarize herself with Manouche Drum. <laughs> I love that. Here so we let's, go. The first track we're going to listen to is called Walking. Sometimes when you listen to jazz minouche, I think that, or gypsy jazz or whatnot, um, it can kind of be busy. Yes. And I like that this is relatively lean. This, yeah. this at least this song is. Um, yeah. And I just like it's pleasant, you know? It's, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of it? I think it's great. I love the bass just kind of booping away in the background, not really, not walking like you would hear a walking bass in a jazz tune, just mm-hmm. nylon string guitar, which... Mm-hmm. You know, Django probably played whatever he could get his hands on, so it doesn't really matter if it's a nylon string, if it's a steel string, if it's plugged in and amplified. Django even played uh, amplified guitar. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds great. Okay, so let's listen. Let's uh, fast forward here and go to a tune called Vet. 
like Corvette almost, vet. Like little red Corvette, but without all of it except for vet. See here, there's two guitars in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, that's very typical of jazz manouche. Almost like a heavy metal band who would have a lead guitarist and a rhythm guitarist. And I've been looking around to see, you know, are there any outdoor festivals when I'm going to be there? There's, you know, there's not a lot of time for that, at least at the beginning, because I'll be working in a cellar doing doing lots of viticultural and enological work. But if time permits, live music will happen, I promise. (laughs) These guys are great. Yeah, they're super fun. Yeah. You know, this is just totally like the type of music that I could see myself like Watching it live, obviously, I, I, yeah. I like a lot more than listening to it on Spotify or the like. But Definitely. I, like, you know, you sit down and have a glass of Retsina or sit down and have a glass of delicious red wine nice. or some Mythos, whatever. <laughs> and uh, But preferably not coffee. Yeah. Uh, and listen to this. It's like great in the evening. Yeah. It'll be so beautiful. All yeah. right, one last song by them. Sweet. There's a album called Short Stories that was released in 2018. And there's a song on it that is called A Song to Say Thank You. Uh, that I thought was pretty. So here's a little piece of that. Yes. I know, a little right? clarinet. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love that old school vibrato on that mm-hmm. clarinet too. Just very fast, quick vibrato. Yep. It's very reminiscent of an old style. And to me, this is like really with that. Wah, 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 wah. To me, that's really old, like old school gypsy is like that. It reminds me of things that I've heard, like very old, not flamenco, but old Spanish riffs from yeah. like the 30s, you know? Sure. Little Tsaz Manouche for your morning. <laughs> Saz, I love that. <laughs> little Tsaz Manouche That's for your... That's maybe my favorite thing so far <laughs> from the day is Tsaz. <laughs> and the word, the word I, you know, because, uh, and I, I apologize, I was saying Dimitrio. I think it's Demetrio. Oh, okay. Because it's with a D. Demetrio Psalidas. He plays the kitara. Yes. T-H in the middle. So guitar yes. in Greek is kitara, which I think is... Well, Love just it. is what it is. <laughs> I 
love that group. I can't wait to listen to more of them. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about this Grand Cru that we're drinking, Rodenbach. The Rodenbach original we don't have, but um, basically it's pretty much, it's very similar to the Grand Cru. The Grand Cru just has a higher proportion of aged, already aged beer, and then just a third of it is younger beer that's mixed in. I think it's a little bit high, just a little bit higher in alcohol too. You're exactly right. The Rodenbach the Rodenbach Classic is 5.2, and the Grand Cru is 6%. And do you want me to tell the listeners why that is? Yes, please. So if there's a little bit of a higher concentration of old beer, a lot of times uh, in a barrel, whether it's wine, whether it's beer, the actual substance will condense over time oh. because you're getting evaporation. Now, granted, in, they're, they're making sure the beer is topped up, right? Usually they're not going to allow for that beer to go bad with a ton of space in the barrel through yeah. evaporation over the course of years. Yeah. But um, you'll get a, a concentration, usually the alcohol rises in an okay. older beer. So that's oh, why this is just ever so slightly higher in alcohol, it's my guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The acid rises quite a bit too mm-hmm. in the older stuff. So some of the things that are in the beer, I told you that the malts that they use are darkened in a kiln, and that's one of the main reasons it gives it that color. Most malts are done in a kiln. It's either gas or it's, you know, fire's old school, but it's done gas. Okay. It's the color, they're doing it to a red color as opposed to like going further and long, and then it would become like a stout malt or something else. So it's like- when they decide to stop the roasting process to make it a red, actually like a pretty oh, red cool. malt. Okay. So it's, it's not that it's done in a kiln. It's uh, that it's done for a certain length of time in a kiln mm-hmm. to give it that color. Yeah. Okay. So there's also maize in it, and maize helps to curb the growth of the acetic acid, brings down the acidity, as do the hops. Hops that are added um, help to kind of temper the growth of the acetic acid. But the problem with a sour beer is that if you add too many hops, it brings in bitterness and bitter and sour aren't good together. Mm -hmm. And so that's why these red ales have a very low hop profile and, you know, low bitterness as a result. You talked about the fooders, the, you know, that they're aged in these fooders and each one in in Rodenbach, they have 294 of them. Amazing. And they have some of the original ones from one of the four brothers that started the brewery in the early 1800s. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But, uh, but so they have 294 of these fooders and each fooder holds 50,000 glasses of Rodenbach in it. (laughs) So what you're saying is I need to buy a fooder for lots. Yes. And and have it in the cellar of my apartment is yes. what you're saying. Yeah. Just go dip down there on occasion. I wonder how long it would take for it to become undrinkable. Probably not that long, really. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they add the younger beer is because, you know, if if in this particular case, apparently... Well, maybe I could drink 50,000 glasses and like... I don't know if you could drink 50,000 glasses <laughs> within three years. I Damn. You'd be like rodenbaking morning, noon, and night. Many times. And smell it coming out of my pores yes. on a run. Exactly. People would be like, what does she smell like? Whiny, kind of weird. You wouldn't have time weird. for a run. All you'd be doing is drinking your Rodenbach. <laughs> kind of sounds like a really nice week. Yeah. Maybe not, <laughs> just put Maybe it not more pool. than that. Yeah. One thing to just mention as you're yeah. talking about these big fooders, I've had the 
luxury of tasting through a lot of Flemish red ales in Belgium. And when you taste the young beer, it's like, it's really, it's kind of sweet. And it's like really, really fruity. And so if that alone is kind of fun and delicious, but it's not like this where you have the refreshing factor. Mm-hmm. And so to, when you blend it, that's why the wine is like, as the Spaniards would say, like agridolce, or, you know, we have the sweet and sour definition in, in the States. And that sweet and sour is really appealing to us. Yeah. Because it is like sweet, ooh, calories, mm-hmm. acid, refreshing, balances well, that out. And so that's wh- that's kind of the theory also behind like the flavor profile being so pretty. Yeah. You know? You know, you talking about sweetness makes makes me want to open the Rodenbach Alexander because this is a this is considered they call this a fruit beer. They don't call this. I mean, obviously, it's in the style of a red ale, but mm-hmm. they call it a fruit beer. In this beer, they add cherries, and it's a very sweet beer with a little more bitterness too. So let's give this a shot. So the Rodenbach Alexander Alexander was one of the brothers. Uh, one of four brothers that um, went in together to get this brewery in West Flanders in the early 1800s. And so this beer is named after him. And they halted production for a little bit, uh, either in the late 90s or early 2000s, I can't remember, um, and then have just recently started making it again because this year is Rodenbach's 200th anniversary. Dope. Yep. They originally brewed it to celebrate the 150th. Is why how that started. Oh, neat. Oh yeah, you can definitely tell it's a little. Mm-hmm. You, it's fruitier. It's fruitier. Yeah, I don't think sweeter it's sweeter. It's not yeah. sweeter, but I and I I think they added this honestly as like it's celebratory. The cherries are celebratory, but for the longest time, beers were historically sour to some extent because people didn't know about yeast and bacteria, and then they were from the time back in Celtic times. Beers were aged in oak. That actually was something that the Romans learned from the Celts. So beers were aged in oak. They kind of soured naturally. And things were kind of gross half the time. So they would add, (laughs) you know, beautiful country fruits, cherries Mm -hmm. being one of them, to make a beer taste good. So I think this is obviously an homage to Alexander, but like in a way that was maybe tipping the hat to beers of yore, you know? Yeah, and you bring up a really good point that this – making beer in this way, and I saw a couple different places, they call it the vinification of beer since it's Mm. aging in oak barrels, basically, right? And, I mean, actually, these beers have been called the Burgundies of Belgium, Mm -hmm. the Cognac of beer, which I think is a little weird, but I like Burgundies of Belgium or the Wine of beer, which are pretty cool nicknames for it. That style of making beer, like you say, has been around for centuries and Mm -hmm. centuries, but... In Belgium, the way it worked out with the Rodenbox is, like I said, these four brothers bought the brewery and they decided to partner on it for about 15 years. At the end of that term, one of the brothers and his wife bought out the others, not Alexander. His name was Pedro. Pedro bought out his three brothers and Pedro and his wife ran the brewery, mostly his wife because Pedro is in the military. So his wife mostly ran the brewery. Their son then took over and his son is the one who traveled to the UK, learned how to make beer this way, brought it back and started doing it in the mid to late 1800s is how long Rodenbach has been making, you know, beer in oak. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's, you know, the term itself uh, of Flemish red ale came about in the 1800s, but as you mentioned, people made beer like this for hundreds of years before that happened. And the 
interesting thing too is when you travel through Belgium, you know, Belgium is kind of divided more or less in the middle and you have the Flemish part, they speak mostly Dutch on the top, the north on the top, <laughs> in the north, and then in the south on the bottom, you have uh, Wallonia, which is the French-speaking um, Belgium. And you find these Flemish reds, obviously, in the Flemish you know, in the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium, but mostly in that western part, right? And yeah. that's where, obviously, Rodenbach is located. But you literally, you know, you pass a certain border, and it's like they're hard to find. It's amazing, mm. the beer culture in Belgium. And when I was there, I just remember, you know, I'd wake up and start, I toured about 40 breweries in like six days or five days or something, and there they don't spit, and they don't give you spit buckets unless you ask, right? And so I'd show up, and they'd pour <laughs> me a beer to say welcome. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You're going to want me to taste, like, all your beer. Yeah. And then in this case, it'd be like, let's go taste through barrels to yeah. taste some differences because that's cool. And I was like, guys, look at me. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't. You know, I'm like, just to give everybody an idea, I'm like about five, six, and I don't know, my driver's license says one 30, which is soaking maybe, wet. Well, no, I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit more than that, but sure. Whatever. I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a package that can like have seven you're beers like at each You're not like me, six foot tall and yeah. You know, so yeah, you're, you're <laughs> definitely tall. Yeah. But you couldn't, ha I mean, nobody can handle that much beer yeah. like on the daily. Right. So it's yeah. just like, yep. whatever. Um, but the fond memories, I would, anybody that loves beer, like people say, go to France if you want to do wine. Which I don't necessarily agree with that because there's so many. I mean, there's so many places to do that. But I do think mm -hmm. if you want to do beer, Belgium, Belgium. is the place to go. And yeah. Rodenbach actually g specifically gave their yeast is so special that they have given a few different breweries that are now world famous um, that are newer, trying to kind of do their own thing, mm -hmm. but with precious yeast strains, have yeah. given them their yeast. A friend of mine who brews beer up in Superior, who started a really amazing brewery and uh, a wild beer program up there that's still kind of extant, but she moved on to greener pastures. Uh, she had uh, some Rodenbach, like some beer that was made in like a Rodenbach style yeah. using a wild yeast that she isolated from a plum tree. Whoa. The shit was amazing. <laughs> um, and it, granted, it wasn't quite here. I mean, here we have like 200 years of experience, mm -hmm. right? But it was well on its way. I mean, they're like benchmark. This is a benchmark. It is. And I think... So is Duchess de Bourgogne, by the way. Remember the little yes, can that we had? Yeah. I do. And I think with this, you know, when you... I'm I'm asking Emily to pour past the bottle because <laughs> my of Alexander because I'm like ooh this tastes really good after my run it tastes amazing and I think you know if you're kind of on the fence about sour beers you listening if you're on the fence about sour beer and you're like I don't like what I've had and you've never had this I really recommend it because especially even the Grand Cru nothing hits you over the head with sourness it's so beautifully balanced with like, you can taste, there's like this maltiness to it, mm -hmm. the aleness of it. And it's just, it's really well, it, it just tastes amazing. It doesn't taste like wine beer to me, even though they call it that. It mm -hmm. just I would tastes, say, yeah. And I would also say for those of you who say you don't like beer, but you drink wine, oh, this is a great way. The Alexander especially. Yeah, you know, because the cherries are added, it's definitely not a sweeter beer. I mean, it is about three quarters, I think, 70, it's around three quarters new beer. So it does have like a fruitier aspect in general. 
But the cherries are just, it smells and tastes like Bing red cherries. Yeah. It doesn't taste like anything fake. No. It's not sweeter because of that. Right. It's sweeter a little bit because of the newer beer. Right. And um, that's a trap you can fall into with quote unquote newer breweries or other breweries that are trying to make Flemish red ales. Sometimes they will add sugar or aspartame Mm -hmm. just to help with the fermentation. Don't do that. These guys don't. They've just been making it for 200 years. Yeah. Emily Race is like, just don't. <laughs> just don't. I love how the carbonation, too, usually on a Flemish red um, or a Flanders red, sometimes they're called, mm-hmm. are the carbonation is lower. So it's not a supercharged, like an IPA that's yep. going to have a head retention that's, you know, two inches high. I mean, it will yeah. if you're in Belgium with really clean glassware and yeah. the right glassware. Ooh, but speaking of which, if I can I interrupt you for just a half you a totally second. You totally can. Tulip glass, that's how you're supposed to drink a Flemish red ale, is in a tulip glass. That is the appropriate vessel. It's true. (laughs) And when you go to Belgium, they have like the appropriate, you go to a beer bar and they have like 900 different glasses. It's it's freaking awesome. Yeah. I went to quite a handful of mom and pop places in Belgium and it was funny. I would say about 75% of them had like three things on a food menu and 75 beers with 75 (laughs) glasses. And then there'd be places you'd go and they'd have three things on the menu to eat and then you'd get everything out of a beer stein, <laughs> like literally a half liter beer stein. And I was like, wow. sweet Jesus, you know, wow. some of these Belgian beers are like, are eight plus percent. You shouldn't be half litering that ever. Right. So um, <laughs> you want to taste this Grand Cru? Then I'll come to yeah. temperature. I'll pass it on. And the Grand Cru is a little bit darker, like a little bit kind of a lighter brown, lighter copper. Yep. And then the... And that's another name for them, actually, too, is a Flemish red-brown ale. Oh, yeah. Hyphenated, red-brown. Because there are, there's a style of beer called Oudbrun, which is the old brown ale. And isn't that from East Flanders? It's very, and it's a very similar concept here, right? It's old and new beer added together, but I won't go into that to convolute the thing, but they're always like brown, like a really light brown. Yeah. This is just a little bit more red. And then the Alexander obviously is um, just kind of a, like if cherries had been baked or sautéed. Yeah. You know, it just kind of got this little bit of a copper mm-hmm. cherry color. Mm-hmm. Emily Reese for the win after the run. Nice work. Oh, it's really delicious. I I really enjoy that beer quite a bit. Should I give you one last Saz artist to listen to? I would love that. All right, so now we're going to go to, well, the, the person I'm going to speak about is Christos Rafalides. And Christos, he was born in Kozani, which Kozani is very far north in Greece. He was born in 1972. And I came upon him by listening to a gentleman named Petros Klampanis. Now, Petros is one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen, first of all. <laughs> like, Greek, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he so he's a, and he's a bassist. And I literally, like, I kept listening to his music, and I'm, like, half on board and half kind of like, what's he doing? But I want to learn more, but it's, it's yeah. strange music and awesome music. But then some of it's really great. But I just kept going back because I was like, how is this human look like this, okay? <laughs> Go to his website or whatever and check him out. Anyway, I mean, literally check him out. But I found this amazing vibraphonist named Christos Rafalides. Love this. And then I was I found that they actually partnered on an album <laughs> that is great. Sweet. So um, 
you know, Christos' music is kind of all over the place. He's done a lot of, he's done a duet with this pianist and stuff like that. That's awesome. But this guy, out of all the musicians we've listened to today, you know, he's been around for a while longer, of course, but he's played with Wynton Marsalis. He's played with, uh, I think there's, there's a, the Mingus uh, band that's out there that was still playing for a while in the 90s or something. He played with them. He's become very successful in New York. This guy, this Rafaelides, he's awesome. Uh, and he came out with a, an album called Near and Dear with three other musicians, of which one is um, a very handsome bassist. <laughs> and uh, I thought we'd listen to just a couple tracks off of this. It's really, uh, to me, out of all three of these, this is the one that I think most people will listen to and go, oh, jazz, you know? <laughs> all um, right. But it's, it's just really great, so let's listen. All right. This first track is called Hatari. What do you think at first blush? Oh, I love it. I think they sound great. All these albums sound really good, which is nice. Mm -hmm. I just an aside, I love, I'm tasting the Grand Cru right now as I'm listening to this. And I love the, obviously, effervescence gives tannin. But you, when it's at the right temperature, which right now, after we've had it open for 20 minutes or so, yeah, 30 minutes, it is, you start to notice the tannin from the oak. From the oak. It's really pretty. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Great food beers, by the way. Like things you want to pair wine with, pair Flemish reds with. P.S. Their website, they have recipes and they tell you exactly what to make and what to eat with their oh, cool. beers, with each one of their beers, which is super cool. Hey, Rodenbach, become a patron and we'll uh, support you. We'll like do a little, <laughs> or, or maybe we'll just do a feature anyway, because that'll be fun. I just love how this guy's just all over the place. He's yeah. using the little sustain pedal that well, vibraphonists can use. Well, he's using more than two mallets. Yeah, he's, he's using definitely using like four mallets. Four mallets, sure. which is great. Making a bunch of chords and stuff. Petros Klampanis in the background. go on to our final track of the day on the same album near and dear um, with the main stay of this album being Christos Rafaelides and this is called all or nothing at all this is a standard
someone's vocalizing and I wonder who it is, you know? Pretty sure it's the vibraphonist. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. And if you're unfamiliar with what that means, it just means that, you know, they're singing while they're playing. Like pianists can be vocalizers. <laughs> Vibraphonists can be vocalizers. Bassists. Bass players can be anybody who's not got an instrument up to their mouth, right? Can can be vocalizers. And there are some legendary vocalizers in the world of music. That's all I got. No pun intended. All or nothing at all. <laughs> Maybe not all, but I got that's that's what I got. I love it. Thank you so much for just expanding our worlds of music. I love it. My pleasure. That's one thing I I may not be good at much in this world, but I do feel like I am uh, good don't at Don't even I don't, I'm not even going to leave that in. Start that over. No, I <laughs> <laughs> No, I leave it in because I think I do really love you know, always learning, always exploring. And, you know, sometimes we come upon things we really love when we explore. And sometimes we find things that they enrich our lives a little, but we let them, you know, kind of go in and out of our, yeah. our worlds. And I, when I came upon these artists, I was like, I can't wait to learn more about these people and what they're doing. And I think that Petros Klampanis is very, he released an album a while ago. Uh, he's touring again or still trying to tour again. So that's nice. cool. Want to shake his hand? Be like, you're the most handsome human I've ever seen. <laughs> I'll just look at him and be like, I don't speak Greek, which I don't even remember how to say right now. Meloden Elenica or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, what do you got? Anything more about Rodenbach? Please explore this world of Flemish red ales. It's so worth it. Do you have a favorite? Do you prefer the Grand Cru or the Alexander? Now, we've only had these two beers, and I know there are so many. Which, which do you like better of these two? And, well, I'll save my answer for after you answer. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, if if I said the Grand Cru, it would only be because it is a little bit more maybe sour. But I, I really don't. Honestly, for me, I'm a lot more accepting of, you know, if you say which wine do you prefer, a lot of times I'm like, well, I don't want to pick a favorite because yeah. they both have a purpose. Yeah. And here they both have a purpose too, but... Belgian beer, I think, is so special in a way that a lot of wines aren't that way where you can be like, Spanish wine is so special. Now, I want to say that because I have an affinity with that, right? Yeah. I'm going Greece. Greece Greek wine is so great. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of really bad wine in both places. Yeah. And in Belgium, yes, there's some bad Belgian beer, but there's so many more iconic style emulating. For the world over is trying to make these beers yeah. um, that I just kind of want to drink them all, all the time. <laughs> so 50,000 glasses, I'm up for the challenge, Rodenbach, if you're feeling generous <laughs> yeah. this year for Christmas. Just give her a fooder for Christmas, it's full true. of Rodenbach. <laughs> it's true. Or give me two small ones and I'll just have a heyday. Do you have a favorite? I mean, uh, like you, I think they're both so delicious and special in their own way. I think, honestly, the one that surprised me the most pleasantly was the Alexander. I thought that was going to be 
a lot sweeter and fruitier than it is, and it's just this really well-balanced, delicious, cherry-flavored, in a very real, genuine way, beer. It's it's amazing. But the Grand Cru, again, I, I, I really couldn't pick a favorite because the Grand Cru also is just this really beautiful, sour red ale. I mean, I, I just, they're, they're both absolutely beautiful. Well, to Tsaz. To Tsaz. <laughs> and to Rosalar, where That's where Rodenbach, uh, Rodenbach is, is from. West Flanders. Cheers to Scores and Pours. To Scores and Pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find a beer list and a playlist and support us financially at patreon.com slash scores and pours. You can also find a link there to buy merchandise like hoodies and tees uh, and uh, corkscrews and uh, stickers. You almost made that happen in one breath. That's amazing. (laughs) We are on Instagram and Twitter at Scores and Pours. Those are both great places to engage in conversation with us, message us with show ideas, give us some feedback, and please rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. Consider supporting the musicians we featured today by buying their music. Which is actually valid because they're all still living right now. (laughs) Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media, Inc., 